I'm just gonna say I, I didn't actually read. I just watched the Jordan Peterson review. <laughs> no, dude, I was dude, dude. I caught a clip of him saying that it was on. It was on like a Rogan episode, and I caught a clip of him saying. He's like, well, you know the thing about Dostoevsky or what? He's like, he's like, notes from underground is profound critique of the left. And I was just like, I was like, what? I, I mean, honestly, is there, is there anything? I know we're only talking about, like Giffen and I have read section one in, or like part one and two, but, and we're only talking about part one. But honestly, is there like, there's nothing in here that seems like an overt critique of the left. This is like a very existentialist um. personal novel. I kind of disagree, actually. Okay, well, it, it would it would have been the liberals of the period. Well, sure. But, yeah, mean, like the perfectibility of man, I guess, in a sense, is more like a left or like a left concept, I suppose. So. Yeah, but to be like Dostoyevsky was absolutely devastating. <laughs> it's like I I I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll disagree with this, but I don't think that this is a an overtly political text at all. I think it is. So I'm curious. Okay, interesting. I absolutely do. Wait, in the sense that, like, in the sense that, like, human nature is wrapped up in politics, or in this, because I think that this, in the sense that he was writing this, knowing that it was going to be perceived as political commentary. Ah, okay, interesting. I don't really think that this is this is kind of widely regarded as the first existentialist novel, and not really a political novel. Well, he, well, it might not he, be highly he, regarded as a political, yeah. like, well, novella, but well, yeah. um, it's at le- I, I think it qualifies for certain. Okay, um, interesting. I mean, I, I, I need to look at the like history of it again, but I, I think, um, I think this was written largely as a response to uh, Chernyshevsky. Yes, on. yes, in his his book, uh, "What Crystal- Is to Be Done." Yeah, yeah, Lenin's Ooh. favorite text. But I yeah. just can't remember. Um, <sighs> Interesting. Well, okay. I guess we can we can get go through it and then kind of discover it. But yeah, I, I'm pretty certain this is pretty overtly. Well, I don't want to say overtly. Um, the Russians at the time couldn't talk that overtly, but yeah, I think it's political. That's so interesting because there there was there's this paper or it's like a short story called. Um, I don't remember if it's called like the nose. Yeah. Gogol has this story called the nose. Uh, it's a novella mm. as well. It's like 66 pages and it was written in 1836. <clears throat> so. What right is, this, yeah. This was written in 66, uh, right? Okay. Because the interesting thing maybe, is, is maybe that 64 notes from underground was written in 1864. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the interesting thing is that I actually saw like a small bit of parallels between the two stories and we could read the nose if we wanted to actually by uh, Google. It's, it's like, a, it's an, it's a fair, it's a funny short story. I wouldn't be opposed. Yeah. Yeah. But, and also so, clear, clearly this is like literary, you know yes, what I mean? So, so yes. it's not, it's not just like a, you know, a political response. So he, he meant yeah. it to be both. So, so I'm I, sure, I'm sure he did draw You know, if you see parallels, he very well could have drawn sure. from, that short story, but I agree with Giffen. I, I think it is very much there was like a political movement at the time, um, you know, of just scientism mm. and just the perfectibility of man and yeah, utopianism broadly. Yeah, yeah. The down the downfall of atheism, <laughs> <according to laughs> Professor Peterson. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not that. 
So no, no, obviously it's not that. And yeah. I mean, what we can, you know, like the version that I have has the second chapter of the brothers Karamazov. And to summarize that as being like a deadly critique of atheism, as Peterson does, is like even more absurd and even more wrong, which we can, yeah. we can read that. Um, okay. Well, that's, I'm actually, I'm even more interested to talk about this now because honestly, I don't think I read the part one of this and politics really did not come up at all for me in like mentally I'm saying reading this um in well I guess well, yeah I guess well let's just go through it and we'll see like I was, I was gonna say do you want it we can talk I, about it very asynchronously because it's yeah. not it's not like a narrative in the in the way that the second part is yeah I was gonna I think, say I think it'd be a good idea to kind of start off like just mm. kind of describing what we think it was we have to start at the like, beginning yeah or just just kind of like a broad overview of like what you thought it was like i i like i could start yeah. yeah um so like the way i interpreted this here um i think the he just kind of opens and this is actually isn't related to like the second half of what he gets into but he first kind of begins to opine about you know hyper consciousness <laughs> and you know, kind of what it means to be almost paralyzed by your own thoughts in a sense. And, and just how inaction can lead from just overthinking and, you know, that, you know, the quote, like, you know, men of action, I don't, I, this is just paraphrasing, of course, but men of action are ultimately fools because they, um, aren't considering primary causes and aren't, you know, truly kind of like following like this chain of logic mentally, but ultimately just act. They act. They don't think because the moment you stop, the moment you start acting is the moment you've stopped thinking. So they're, they're so, beasts in some sense. So, so I think that's how he kind of opens. But then he kind of gets into his critique, which mm. is more so um, the idea that men are ultimately not rational. And that we are moving toward creating a completely rational system and the idea that men can operate happily within this and can align desires perfectly with reason um, is ultimately like kind of like it, it, it's not it's not only like impossible in his mind, but it's undesirable. So, so I, I kind of, I, that's, I, I'm probably missing things, but that's kind of how I viewed like part one. So, but I'm sure I, you could add to that. So. No, I, I mean, I think that's good. I, <clears throat> there was also, there was also a vein of sort of like, <clears throat> there was a type of absurdism or sort of paradoxicalism that he was comfortable with also where <clears throat> he would say things. It, I mean, it, it was, I don't want to summarize it as contradictions because that makes it sounds like, it sounds like we're, you know, like finding like in the Bible or something where, you know, it's like faith without works is dead, but then it's like on belief alone. It's not that kind of a contradiction, but he'll be, he'll do things where it's like, you know, he'll say things along the line of, uh, I, I, you know, acted on spite and spite alone. And then he says, you know, gentlemen, when I said that was spite, I'm sure you believed me, but it was all a lie, you know, so, something like that, where he'll sort of like, he'll offer you this insight and then take it away again. 
in a way in which I think is, it's kind of weird because he, he, you know, he talks about that like paralyzation from, from, from this obsession over thinking things through and doing that to the point where he, it's not clear if he's sort of like worked his way into being contemptuous of men of action because he can't be, or if he like genuinely thinks that men of action are, you know, there's that, that there's like a weird tension between is he, is he castigating something that he actually deeply wants to be? And in some sources, it seems like it's yes. And then there's other texts in which it seems like, no, he genuinely thinks it would be bad for me to be a man of action, you know? Yeah, I, he definitely does say both, like just to yeah. kind of like buttress that point real fast. I mean, he says like, I mean, he references, you know, kind of like a famous, I believe it was like a pirate, um, um, like Lafitte, was that, was that the name of like, uh, but, it, but, it, but regardless, it was some sort of like hedonistic figure and was saying like, what if I were to like embody that figure? You know, you could say something positive about me. There are positive attributes that you could attribute to mm. my lifestyle. And it yeah. would be a way of life that, you know, you know, we're not, we're not saying positive or negative in the sense that, you know, we're morally evaluating you know, mm. like that lifestyle, but it's just that it can be described that way of life. Yeah. So, so saying, I have that be good for me, but yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, up. I found two about the man of action. I found like two quotes. So um, I, I also just read an online version from project Gutenberg. So I don't have proper pages like you guys might. Okay. So just part sections. Three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's, it's part <clears throat> or section chapter three of, you know, part one. Um, it says um, in like quote, um, I'm sorry, in parentheses, says um by the way uh facing the wall such gentlemen that is the direct persons and men of action are genuinely non-plus for them a wall is not an evasion as for us people who think and consequently do nothing so in this case he seems to be like critiquing the people who are doing nothing and Ooh. kind of like a addressing a positive attribute of the men of mm. action but then later um uh i were part five um and he says, I repeat, I repeat with emphasis, all direct persons and men of action are active just because they are stupid and limited. So, um, yeah, and it's true. And he says that, you know, consciousness is, you know, like perhaps like one of like the greatest curses, like, but he calls it a disease, right? A, a disease, but, but men wouldn't give it up for anything. So mm. like he, later on, so he's saying that like, you know, even though he's hyper conscious, in this sense, he wouldn't give it up for anything, you know, mm -hmm. e even, even if it were um, to result in him being a man of action. So yeah, he is sort of kind of like straddling that fence a little bit. So yeah, he flirts with like a direct contradictory, just almost vomiting of his, it's, it, it, this reads like it would read if you like smoked a joint, drank a lot of caffeine and then just had a stream of consciousness you know, like word document. And I, and I think yeah. he's also really conscious of like, I would imagine um, like, like Rousseau <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, of like Rousseau's autobiography, right? Like confessions in the sense, like, I mean, he references it later on and upon rereading like um, part one, to be honest, I was, I was kind of looking out for that. Mm. And I thought that honesty was like one of his highest priorities when writing this. So I think just kind of exposing kind of his 
you know, the contradictions within him kind of mm, his, his neuroticism thinking. I think that yeah. was his best way of showing honesty. Yeah. In part one here. So yeah. Uh, Which is weird too, because there's almost a meta like sense of another level of contradiction where he is both decrying and then almost sort of like not praising, but wishing that he could be a man of action, but he almost, he, so he talks about this. It's, it's close to the end of part one. Oh, um, actually just briefly while you're looking for that, I think it might be worth mentioning, um, maybe to people who haven't read it yet, but, um, you know, whenever we're talking about he, um, like the, the, uh, author of the diary author of the notes is mm-hmm. you know, a distinct person from Dostoevsky. Right. Um, so if we do want to talk about Dostoevsky's philosophy, we might want to separate that. Um, yeah. But, but it also is Dostoevsky though. Yeah. Like, like, like it is like, it's just like, you couldn't write this if you didn't experience this to mm-hmm. some degree. And, and they're just, there's so many parallels that like, he just writes throughout part one with himself. Like for example, just like, He's like, yeah, you wouldn't write this way. Um, are, are you, you, I guess just to kind of paraphrase what he said, but he was saying like, okay, you would write this way too had you emerged from the underground and seen what had come to fruition, you know, in the last 40 years that I've missed. And think about the last 40 years of just scientific development in his life, right? So it's like, I think much of this kind of came to a head around this point and he had, you know, really been exposed to much of this thinking that had emerged because of recent scientific development. So this is his kind of like response to that and much of like the thinking that, it, you know, inspired. So, Ooh. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I definitely think this is his response. So there was also, I mean, before we like really start to dig into these, cause I've kind of have quotes for all of these themes that I thought would be fun to read. Um, there's another thing that we haven't overtly talked about yet, but there is this tension between he talks about not having any sort of freedom or self-determination or making one's own decisions. And that coincides with, you know, that coincides with his uh, contempt for men of action. Uh, But he also talks about rebelling against that and sort of choosing in spite of those things. And that follows where, you know, he talks about like nothing is ever kind of correct or right or noble in some sense, but yet there's, you know, this mathematical formula or almost like a rational formula that he's pushing back against. So it's, again, that sort of like quasi paradoxicalist tension between things not being possible, but them also existing and him pushing back against them. I guess can you can you expand on that later part right there uh, the latter part like yeah like, um, what do you mean by because I, I don't I don't think he thinks it is possible that like like what are you saying that he doesn't think is possible because I have a few like uh, a few quotes highlighted so yeah yeah okay so when he talks about he talks about not having freedom or self determination so yeah there's this like theme of not having freedom or self determination or making one's own decisions. And I have a few quotes about that. So um, he talks about people with strong nerves and when they're confronted with the impossible, they at once resign themselves. Does the impossible mean the stone wall? What stone wall? Why, of course, the laws of nature. So he's painting the laws of nature as this sort of um, thing that can't be worked around. 
And he follows that up with the example that repeats itself over and over, where he says, you know, the law says that two times two equals four, and that's a law of mathematics, and you can't refute it. He even says, like, just try refuting it. Uh, now, on page 18 of my copy, um, <clears throat> he also has, oh, okay, so that's, so, yeah, I'll, I'll read this quote, because it talks, it brings together a few themes. So he says, Oh, tell me who first declared, who first proclaimed that man only does nasty things because he does not know his own real interests. And that if he were enlightened, if his eyes were open to the, to his real normal interests, man would at once cease to do nasty things, would at once become good and noble because being enlightened and understanding his real advantage, he would see his own advantage of the good and nothing else. And we all know that not a single man can knowingly act to his own disadvantage. So, and well, the, there's a, the final line of that is actually important. Consequently, so to say, he would begin doing good through necessity. And the idea that he's talking about there, I don't think we've ever talked about it on the podcast, but uh, it, that goes back to there's this like uh, Socratic idea that people only act for the good, like people only desire the good and act for the good. And that the problem is, is that people are always just mistaken about what the good is. And there's this like theme in, in Dostoevsky, at least in notes from underground where, you know, he's like pushing back against the idea that uh, the good is determined and he almost seems, okay. So he's, there's almost this sense in which he's admitting that that's true in some sense. Like he's drawing parallels between the idea that two, two times two equals four and then he's also kind of connecting that with the whole idea of like, you know, man, as we're sort of scientifically progressing, we're learning more and more about ourselves. Right. And he's almost saying like, we are approaching this, uh, this like rational understanding of what is best for us. But then he also has this infatuation with acting against it. In well, well it, it, because he begins to kind of question, like, you know, you're, you're kind of describing like, you know, hmm. acting, you know, to our advantage, right? But advantage yeah. with respect to what? Mm. Like with respect to prosperity, happiness, um, you know, a sense of like, you know, completion or certitude. I mean, there are all these different advantages that you could act with respect to. Mm. And the question is, even if you were able to tabulate all the advantages that one might value, you know, and would want to act to uh, or towards, um, do we always still act toward our advantages? Even if you were to like enumerate all the advantages that you wish to act toward, mm. do you always do that? And even if you knew in all cases, okay, like, you know, are, would there be cases in which you don't act toward your advantage, even your, even if it's, you know, um, you've enumerated all of them. Like I, 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 like when I read that, I kind of like imagined like a situation in which, I mean, I don't know if you listened to like one of like the most recent Sam Harris podcasts on like AI. Uh, I don't think so actually. Uh, I forget the guy's name, but he had a uh, former CEO of Google on there. And um, we could look up his name later, but regardless, he was talking about. And he divulged all of your incognito searches. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> no, but he, he was talking about, 
you know, essentially general intelligence or general art of artificial intelligence kind of bots that could accompany you and could provide like, you know, a greater insight into your own life than you have. Mm. Okay. So what if there was such a bot that accompanied you and was able to tell you like, okay, this decision and, and could actually tell you on every single decision you're going to make, this acts toward these advantages. This acts perfectly toward your the advantages you most value. Will you always kind of, it, it, you know, assuming you trust the bot, of course, but will you always um, act that way? And Dostoevsky is saying, no, no, that's not man's nature, in fact, to do that. So he kind of, you know, but what, what, what do you guys think of that? Well, it, uh, I mean, like one thing to note is that importantly there, that's, and, and it's like not the point that Dostoevsky is making also, but neither of these things are due to weakness of will. Uh, and neither of these errors would be due to epistemic errors. So it's like, you yes. know, yeah, yeah. So yes. Um, <laughs> I, it's weird. Like, the question is like, to what extent can you truly desire the bad? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and but, but, like, it's not, but it's not desiring the bad though. Well, it's just, it's you desire making a decision. That's not rational. Yeah. That That's not necessarily based purely in reason. Yeah. So like, I, I, I always wonder about these sort of questions because I don't know. Like, think, okay, like just to use a personal exa example, right? So, like applying to grad school and like forfeiting a steady job and like a steady income and like, you know, all the benefits that come with that is like a big risk, right? And uh, so, would the, because it's, because it's weird, right? It's like there's kind of two versions of the bot that I'm thinking about. One would give me a probabilistic account of what I'm doing and would say there is only like a 17% chance that you will attain like a, a career in philosophy or something. Right. But then there's another version where it's like, okay, you won't actually like we've looked into the, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so if I, it's not exactly like a one-to-one -one example because I would still go anyway. Like I would just want to do like the program, but imagine I didn't right? like, imagine my, if I wouldn't be happy with this, if I didn't actually get a job in academia, um, I don't know. It's hard for me to think that it's hard for me to think that I would, if it gave me a probabilistic account, but, but you, it's kind of a cop out with a probabilistic account. Though. Uh, yes. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a big time cop out. Like no, what if it, I, yes. like, what, like, what if it you, commenting on yeah. like the, if the absolute case where it's like, we can feasibly yes. be in your interest and you say, just like, you know, grit your teeth in, in like spite surges through you. And you're like, I'm going to do it. Have I ever told you guys about there's this idea that people will actively rebel against what what like reason itself even states and there's this like um doxastic voluntarism about beliefs where you can believe something in spite of the fact that there's no evidence for it like you yourself like a lot of people think that religious belief is like this um where you can be confronted and honestly have no account of how any of this could possibly make sense right but you just believe in spite of it. And it's almost like this existential assertion of your freedom to say, like, I believe in it, even though it doesn't make any sense. 
Like, do, do you guys? So, okay. Yes. Yeah. I, I yeah. definitely see the parallel here. It, yeah. it's, I see yeah. the parallel. Okay. For, I mean, maybe I'm like trying to work backwards. I don't, I don't think I have any of those beliefs. Do you guys? I mean, I, I, I definitely could see myself not acting like, I, I just think it's really, I, I think Dostoevsky really does a good job and kind of like, just illustrating the fact that it's just not within human nature or at least it's not within me to yeah. just follow decisions purely rationally like if you were to tell me like no, it's not like, me either like, 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 but like what no, i'm no, wondering no, 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 but I'm yeah, saying, yeah, like, yeah i have to get back to your case about the okay. grad school thing, okay. okay you were told with 100 certainty that going to grad school will will not be to your advantage mm-hmm. okay like are, are you going to, you know, is that like a done decision at that point? Like it's done. Like, or, or, or are you kind of like, or is there even like a slight waiver on that point? Yeah. I think the wavering is the key there. Cause yeah, it's not, I, because it, it doesn't it's really, matter whether it's, that's yeah, true. Yeah. That's true. Of yeah. course there'd be a wavering, but honestly, honestly, what I'm struggling to understand about myself, even introspectively is, is that wavering actually due to some like, no, the machine isn't factoring in for something about like my will or, you know what I mean? Reassessing like the calculation, it's, the, it's the almost, logarithms. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's almost like it's very hard for me to like, honestly, report. like it's, it's very hard for me to honestly report how that would feel. And it seems like I would always regress if, if I did it, it would always be for this sort of back in my mind hunch of it's got to be wrong somehow or, or like, I don't know, something, you know? But, but the point is, is that like, what if this machine was there for every decision of your life? <laughs> it had a perfect track record. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so the point is, is that you, you know, the machine's always going to be there and is always going to tell you which decision ultimately, like even like the facade of, you know, <laughs> desire kind of drops away. I mean, I just like to feel to an extent that like will does essentially align with just pure reason at some point in the Ooh. end there. If you always just follow what the machine says, yeah, your advantage or maximizes it. This goes back to the Bernard Williams critique of utilitarianism that I was talking to you guys about. Remember where he says that like this sort of you have like a disappearing person if you're only maximizing utility. Then yes. the person sort of disappears. Very uh, similar idea, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a very similar idea. Honestly, I would si- I would sign up for that bot in a second if I could turn it on and off. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like it would be, it would be really. I mean, that's just like a, to have having an oracle next to you at that point. It's like, yeah, an oracle. Like, what are the odds of me doing this? Well, because like, I mean, this starts to get into the other theme, but for, I mean, you know, we've all experienced like things that are very straightforward decisions to make. And then we've all experienced decisions that are extremely difficult to make. Right. I get the sense that I would never bother consulting that Oracle for decisions that I was confident about, but I would be very tempted if not actually like delight in turning it on for the difficult ones i don't know Uh, i'd be tempted uh, not even i i actually don't even think tempted was the right word for me to use there i think i would readily do it 
Like if I'm genuinely conflicted about like what the no, right, thing I to mean, do even it, in know? like the, the confident case. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, I mean, if this thing has like knowledge, you know, it's like, you, you can't really hold the belief that you have more knowledge than it. You kind of want to double check your work, you know? Yeah. There's something. So I guess I am pulled by Dostoevsky's point that I don't know. It'd just be obviously, obviously what's going to happen is going to happen, but there's something very annoying that I feel about not being able to live through the, I don't know. Oh, it just depends. It just depends. It, it reminds me of like the um, Niels Christie paper to an extent in an odd way where it's conflict is property. Instead of conflict is property. It's almost like, uh, like the facade of a decision as property. Is the facade extent. of free will right. as property. No, actually though. Yeah. Actually hmm. though, which I think is actually very important to like the human experience. And I think Dostoevsky agrees. I, 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 I definitely agree with him on that point. Can I read a quote about, okay, so he says, bah, gentlemen, what sort of free will is it? Uh, or what sort of free will is left when we come to tables and arithmetic, when it will all be a case of two times two makes four. So he's pointing that we're going to be able to like calculate out what the utility maximization is there. And he says, two times two makes four, even without my will. But then he says something really interesting as if free will meant that. And that's almost like a, I read that as a very kind of compatibilist term almost in him mm. where he was saying, you know, okay, so. I, he's I, almost, I did too, by the way. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cause I take it there. He's saying he's almost like he, he's looking at this sort of like agent causal libertarians wet dream. Right. And he's saying like, it, like my will is like, there's this idea that people are drawn to that their will is so powerful that they can override the laws of nature, whether that's like, could have done otherwise or two times two might actually be five you know what i mean yeah um but then you know he points out obviously as the incompatibilist will that there's like the hard incompatibilist will no you don't have that power but then when he says as if free will meant that what's the analog there for i don't know what the analog there is for the utility maximization because He's, I take it that he's kind of pointing towards that struggle, like the, the libertarian struggle almost of saying, I, I can almost make things rational by like my pure will to do, right? And then there's the, you could imagine like a very, I don't know, like Richard Dawkins-esque kind of person where it's just like, let's just sit back and just all live by the utility calculus. What's the, what's the compatibilist position there? I, I just had a thought. Let me, let me, let me get it back here on that one. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think like he definitely acknowledges it. Like I, I kind of like later in the first part that, okay, well, we'll, we'll say that in fact, we don't have free will, right? It actually doesn't matter. What's important to the human experience is the, at least the perception that we have free will, like the perception that we do make decisions that you know this that life isn't reduced to some utility calculation so and that life and decisions don't always need to align perfectly with you know um you know utility maximization in a sense mm. it's not that you know if it does that's a bad thing 
you know, in some cases, it's that the idea that it should always align perfectly, um, it, it really kind of destroys the human experience. I mean, I think like it, that's very clear in his in his later writing, like in the in the part when he whenever he talks about okay, like part of being human is being creative and like you know kind of like you know creation and exploration are both you know fundamental components to being human but as you know as he's saying like as we're building this road i mean do we really i guess we get closer to the destination is that somewhere we where we actually want to end up like we we all agree that like you know like the process of science is you know fantastic mm. But where do we end up when we understand everything perfectly? And he says, doesn't he conclude from that like thought that the end is never what we actually desire. It's always the process of the journey to the end. And that, I mean, that is, that's like a very Buddhist point of him to say where it's the attaining, the, the attaining of the goal is synonymous with a moment of kind of unsatisfactoriness. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, the, like there's kind of nothing that's worse than, I don't know, in some sense, because there's like the moment of accomplishment, which is absolutely, you know, wonderful. And like, but the, like, you know, as soon as that peaks, it's synonymous with just like the loss of the entire process to it. Exactly. And, you know, he, in one sense, he'll call it boredom. Mm. And in another passage, he calls it death. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's, I, I kind of agree to an extent. I mean, what would life be like where every decision you make is influenced by, you know, a knowledge base that is absolute and unerring? Well, I mean, it's certainly going to look very, very different than how we live our lives now. And is that preferable? Mm. So... That's why I was almost. That's why I was almost wondering if I could get that on-off switch to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, would you, would you turn it off? Well, I would turn it on and off. I, I I want even more than that. I'm saying like I want on and off and on and off. Like I want. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm on. saying would would you, would you turn it off ever though? Like if <sighs> if you started to live your life through the direction of this bot, and it you know, was maximizing different advantages that you most valued. I could see a scenario in which I would. Okay. So like, okay. Say I, I, I really want to go to grad school. I really want to go to Houston in particular. Mm -hmm. I turn, I'm like, ah, but there's this nagging thought in the back of my mind is Virginia tech actually the right move? You know, I like, I think it's Houston, but am I wrong? Um, I flip on the bot Hey, is it Houston? It like whispers back, yes. Okay, I'm like, great. I just slam it off again. Like, that's all I wanted. You know what I mean? Because I could imagine it would, how much would it suck? Okay, so I get to Houston. Like, I'm trying to work on this specific paper idea that I have about critiquing Summer's account of the objective attitude, right? That's something that I'm, I've just been like really interested in. I just presented at that, this conference, right? Okay, so I'm getting there. I'm trying to work on it. But I, like I accidentally had flipped the bot on, like I didn't realize it. And it just chimes in, you know, working on this paper will not uh, be to your advantage. And I'm like, I'd be like, okay, well, like what is then? It would be like, 
presenting some counterexample to a Gettier case. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't really want to work on that. Though. I'd be like bummed out. Do you know what I mean? And, but, 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 but even then though, you might not be necessarily bummed out because you'll know that if it's yeah. to your advantage, then you'll be happier and more f- fulfilled through that. But, but in a sense though, I do understand why you'd be bummed out because you've lost your decision-making yeah. or, or at least the facade of it. So yeah. And, and, you know, that's why Doc Stoyoski makes some pretty good points here. It's, so, it's a good yeah. novella. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was imagining it even like a, like what would the experience be like if you were kind of like keeping it on? Um, Cause Jordan, you make a good point of like, you know, if you flipped it on and you kind of like discovered that like one of your hopes was dashed, you know, that can be something that, you know, is a trade-off, you know, you like, you might discover that there's an advantage to doing the other thing greater than what you were hoping to do maybe. Um, and in exchange for that, you kind of feel bummed, right? That's not really to your advantage or is that, you know, you wouldn't value that perhaps like the, the, the negative feeling at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if you just kind of like keeping it on actually just directed you towards like almost like a fluttering, like blissful state. It's like always kind of like at that little like <laughs> precipice of like, Ooh, like it's just like if it, if it was able to u- maximize your utility to that extent, like kind of like just constantly like directing you towards like little pleasures while you're towards like, these greater goals. Like and if also, that was what yeah. it was like, that's I think the real question. Cause that's the thing that I was imagining that would be like addicting. It's like, can you really turn it off if you like, um, even in the case where like, I think if you use it long enough and you turn it off, you'd kind of be frightened by uncertainty. But mm. even in the case where like, that wasn't the case, like if you weren't used to it yet, I feel like there'd be like, especially if it can do that, like in the short and long term, just kind of like really just maximize, um, efficiently, um, mm. without these kind of like grand dashed hopes. I think that would be, that would be the scenario. Right. And also if you kept it on for long enough, constantly, you would probably begin to to enter into this weird harmonious groove with the machine. That's wh- where yeah. you would delight in sort of whatever it told you. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what I was yes. imagining. Yes, like you would lose yes. your own. Like when I you said, look, "Oh, I'd be bummed something. out." Yeah, because okay, so when I said I would be bummed out, it's because I was only consulting the machine. You know, like right? Kind of sporadically. You had kept the choice. I would almost know? no, but imagine if I had kept it on for the past eighteen years. I would just arrive at Houston, like waiting <laughs> to see what it told me to do. <laughs> no, like that's really it. Like, yes, yes. Because once you've kind of like given away like the the hope, it's just kind of like this. It's like taking soma. Um, yeah, I think is what it'd be like. Just the constant like blissfulness, almost right, like that's what it could deliver. Like, not just like it can tell you like based on some like rational argument, but it can make you feel that way too. And this is, this is, Oh, there's actually like, so your utility is informed parallels. by that. Right. I, I just realized that there's a direct parallel too, between this whole point and the experience machine where on one hand, it's extremely irrational for you to not enter the experience machine because it can give you exactly the life that you want. And if you need struggle, you know, if like you're that kind of person that needs to fight against something, it can give you the perfect amount of struggle where it's just like, this is every, you know, this will take all your strengths, but you will overcome it. Right. Yeah. And it, and it's like, dude, I, I get the impulse. I get both impulses. There was just like a life of bliss in that machine would be amazing, but none of it would be real in some sense where it's just, and that like, and it's the same thing with this, where it's the realness a, is a, the, 
yeah the freedom to choose a or life at least the, yeah, yeah yeah like a life guided by this machine would be better than a life without it yet there's something extremely disturbing about it yeah yeah so if we want to i don't know we said we were okay with jumping around i was going to wait, talk wait, about wait. Yeah. i had a variation real quick no please what about a machine that only gave you a green light a yellow light or a red light so whenever you were considering doing something, so the yellow light would almost never come on and it may in fact never come on. So that would be if you were truly breaking neutral. But what if there was just like a red or green indication where, you know, you were kind of considering like choosing this thing to do or, or moving into this apartment or, mm -hmm. or entering this program and you just turned and all you saw was a little green or red. Like it didn't tell you how much it would maximize. It didn't tell you how much it would minimize. It's like just directionality kind of thing. Just directionality. Yeah, hmm. no way. I mean, I feel like you were like a slave at that point. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Wait, more so than more so than the original idea. No, no, not oh, more oh, so okay, than the original okay. idea. But but, but, this has, but you seem to have like because I was a no way on the first example, and then this <laughs> one just seems like a step down, and I'm just like less of a slave. But I. <laughs> No, I, I just, yeah, I mean, I just feel like I would be completely dependent on whatever that would tell me for anything. And in my current I, situation right now, it's like, I certainly don't feel that way as I operate, you know, throughout my daily life. Like whether, whether we, you know, get into like, you know, ultimately whether I am or not, but I don't feel that way. That's not my perception as I, you know, kind of move about my daily life so it would be a completely different experience hmm. yeah i was actually gonna make a comment because i think rick and morty did an episode on this where um did they morty well kind of morty gets like that crystal that he attaches to his head and he just kind of like moves left to right until he discovers <laughs> like the end goal that's like preferable and he's kind of like just fumbles his way towards whatever you know he needs to do to get to that end you guys did you guys see that episode? I, I, I recall That's, that one now. Yeah, because exactly. it's the one where he's like he has that device and it's it's like the, the green, you know, is in the one direction and he just had to like keep stepping like left. Oh no, farther to the left. Oh no. Oh I do. Yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. literally every yeah. waking moment, he just like humming. Well, in the in the episode, it was like Jessica. Like humming that to himself and just like taking steps, and, like discovering the words he's saying just by trial and error through the alphabet. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. It was a very good episode. Yeah, oh, yeah okay. that, that, that's exactly. I uh, well, maybe not exactly, but I think that's pretty close to what we were describing with this machine. Yeah. Would yeah. you would you affix the crystal to your your skull? I cut one of you off, and I don't remember who though. It was you, Giffen? Oh, I was going to um, bring up the uh, quote where he talks about, you know, the differences between like the advantage and then the the more advantageous than any other advantage. Um, just like kind of wrapping up what we were just discussing. Um, this is for me, it's. Oh, I guess it's in um, chapter eight. Why don't you just read that one off? Though? Yeah, so. <laughs> So I'm just trying to find a good place to like start because it's kind of like a you know bulky thing. No, for sure. Such a decisive commitment to action there. Why don't you just read it? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's like you know, do flip no, around and no, it's just like which yeah. what does the paragraph start with? <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, so I'll start here. I'm paralyzed by indecision. 
hyper consciousness, you know? Mm. Um, so actually I'll, I'll just read it from here. Um, you yourself are a bit of an underground man. <laughs> I am. I am. I am an underground man in many respects right now. Sorry, I'm like really trying to find a good place because, like, the way it's like written is like so like meandering. It's like he doesn't just say like the thing. He like is like weaving in and around the point for two paragraphs. A few gentlemen's thrown in here and there. Yeah. Be a bit of action what, though. Yeah, just, yeah, just... While, while you're looking for it though, I love. Uh... <laughs> My, my 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 favorite quote though in this one is when he's just like just like damn underground after he like <laughs> I, I gotta find that one yeah. my, my favorite line was when he exclaims like i want to send these logarithms to the devil <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah um i mean the, the opening line is classic too i am oh. a sick man <laughs> i am a spiteful man. no that's absolutely classic um okay so I, i'm gonna start reading it's gonna be a little bit of a text but i think um i think it'll be really worth discussing so at the top of this is like really close to the beginning of chapter eight he goes hmm you decide our choice is usually mistaken from a false view of our advantage we sometimes choose absolute nonsense because in our foolishness we see that nonsense the easiest means for attaining a supposed advantage when all that is explained and worked out on paper which is perfectly possible for it is contemptible and sensible or, and senseless to suppose that some laws of nature man will never understand, then certainly so-called desires will no longer exist. Um, for if a desire should come into conflict with reason, we shall then reason and not desire, because it will be impossible retaining our reason to be um, senseless in our desires, and in that way knowingly act against reason and desire to injure ourselves. Right. So that's kind of like where he's positing the kind of conflict there between like the reason and the desire. Um, just, like, just so I'm clear. So he's basically, he's just pointing to what is essentially the opposite of a weak willed action where you know what the right thing to do is, but the desire overcomes the reason he's saying, like, when we reach, reach this kind of algorithm level understanding, then reason should overcome desire, right? I, I, I'm not even sure like overcome, right? It just aligns. Just like yeah, a li- alignment. Oh, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, it, yeah. This is more of an yeah. exploration of okay. like the idea of advantage. Okay. So okay. I'm going to okay. skip ahead then to like um, where he actually just tries to unravel that like seeming contradiction. Okay. Um, he goes, uh, this is a couple, a little bit further down. Okay. So. Easy sense. I suspect gentlemen that you are looking at me with compassion. You tell me again that an enlightened and developed man such in short as the future man will be cannot consciously desire anything disadvantageous to himself um, that that can be proven mathematically. I thoroughly agree it can by mathematics, but I repeat for the hundredth time, there is one case, one only, when man may consciously purposely desire what is injurious to himself, what is stupid, very stupid, simply in order to have the right to desire for himself even what what is very stupid and not to be bound by any obligation to desire only what is sensible. Of course, this very stupid thing, this caprice of ours, may be in reality, gentlemen, more advantageous for us than anything else on earth, especially in certain cases. And in particular, it may be more advantageous than any advantage, even when it does us obvious harm and contradicts the soundest conclusions of our reason concerning our advantage. For in any circumstances, it preserves for us what is most precious and most important, that is our personality, our individuality. Mm. So that's kind of like the 
I don't want to say it's like the, the final conclusion, but that seems like where he's kind of lays it on the table. And this is also where it blends into the politics. Um, Cause he's basically staking a claim in the individual individuality, as opposed to like the um, collectivism kind of, he yeah. wraps those kind of two, um, the existentialism and the politics into one exclamation yeah. there. I actually do see now how that, that, interplays the connection between politics and existentialism yeah and i if had i ever read what is to be done by chernyshevsky i might even be more obvious but yeah i, I think it's I considered had... it's considered one of the worst pieces of writing ever is it really that bad <laughs> yeah so I, I, I i know it was one of the most influential if only by the fact that lenin was influenced by it and that's primarily the reason but otherwise <laughs> it's considered a, no like worthless it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's not, not worth like, reading. <laughs> it's just like not meritorious like literature. Okay. It's just considered very, very, very bad. It's like almost like a picture book in a sense. There are like <laughs> lots of like illustrations and like short little paragraphs, and it's a lot of propaganda. Hmm. So yeah. uh, interesting. I actually didn't know that, or yeah, at least no, it's, hadn't it's... heard that strongly stated. But yeah, but um, it was so... extremely popular. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So this is kind of what he's discussing here is kind of like the idea of advantage. It, there's either this super advantage that like, I mean, it sounds like what is being claimed here is like the super advantage is like, you know, greater than any other, you know, discussion of advantage thus far is kind of like preserving the choice, preserving the individual individuality of man. Right. It, it is just, and he actually later, later claims that, um, you know, it is profitable and sometimes even praiseworthy mm. um, to maintain it, you know, even in in spite of reason. But this is so the soup that just. I think it's just an exploration of like what is at, at the time it would have been like when people are making these kind of like rationalist claims, you know, like it will be, you know, found that there it, it's like a logarithm. You can simply discover what it is. It kind of ignores the advantage to be found. Like that's more subtle and, and yet greater, according to, you know, Dostoevsky in just like that feeling of choice, the knowledge of individuality and that it's mankind's nature to, you know, assert for himself, like in spite or in whatever, you know, you want to describe it, that feeling. Yeah. And like the algorithm would be discounting that freedom because it can't factor it in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're thinking of like, we're using like kind of a, uh, machine example at the time. I don't know that he would have done that. It's more like just the that is what he was going. Towards. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't, I don't think he would. You know, like, given <laughs> what we know now about like, technology, I don't think he would object. I mean, it's it's not like any math equation would tell you, you know, which is going to maximize like what, like yeah, you know, yeah, what yeah, decisions. Yeah, no. it, you know, just... it, it would it would be it would have to be extremely advanced technology. Yeah, and this is know? kind. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is kind of like where it bleeds into the politics. Well, the, where it bleeds into politics is kind of obvious because I claimed it was as opposed to like the collectivism. Um, but in this um, kind of expression of the advantage, it kind of like is rebutting the idea that we can hold the idea in our head that we, we can recognize that another person is doing something disadvantageous almost. It like at least seeds a kernel of doubt, right? Like what, what can be whenever you're criticizing someone else, like, you know, you're clearly doing something disadvantageous toward yourself. And we do this all the time. 
like I know I do it all the time. You can you see it in other people. You see it in you know political um, policy, anything. It's like th- these can be seen as a set of disadvantageous things that people are just doing that we can correct. Mm. So he's critiquing that in a way. And he's sort of wrong in a sense, though, right? Because like, especially like his section, I, actually, this is a very interesting point. So I'm glad we got to this one here. But yeah, this is the, like the I, highlighted part for me. Yeah, I found it really interesting when he was talking about how, you know, in the civilized era or this civilized age, people are no less bloodthirsty than they were, mm, you know, yeah. 2000 years ago. And that, you know, the fact that people are as bloodthirsty now as they were, but the considering that they're more hyper-conscious than they were, just makes it all the more egregious that we are as bloodthirsty as we are. And I look at society now and I say, that's actually not true. Because he was saying like in that section, I don't know exactly where it was, but he was saying, well, all civilization has done for us is it's broadened the experiences that we have. Like the sensations that we are privy to it's, it's now like a broader array of sensations and bloodthirst, you know, bloodthirstiness is one of them, but now we have an entire new array given, you know, the, how society has become more complex. But I found that really interesting because in a way we've actually like excised a lot of um, like, I guess, bloodthirstiness by not exposing the population to it. So in a sense, it's almost like Mm. the array of sensations we have been privy to. Honestly, violence is not really one of them, at least given our upbringing, right? Like we were not exposed to great levels of violence and therefore we are not privy or not disposed to being violent. Well, or less so, or, or like there are also cultural values that have, you know, I, yeah. go, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just commenting on where exactly this was because um, okay. I didn't really view it. Well, I, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I, whenever I was reading it, I wasn't viewing it through the lens of like our place in society. I think it seemed like more observations of, you know, the, the sum of humanity, right? Like I wasn't considering the fact that we kind of didn't grow up in a pocket of violence. It was more like you can think about, you know, even in the last like 50 years, just, you know, something like Vietnam, like horrendous levels of violence, even if, you know, we're not perpetrating, we're not directly exposed. I mean, we didn't live through it, Um, but it's just kind of like invoking the notion that, you know, previously it wasn't considered, you know, in poor taste to engage in like things like warfare. Now it actually is, but it is still done. And I think even though you bring up the point fairly that we aren't directly like involved or exposed to it, we kind of do offer like some little raindrop of consent um, we do, in our but, but We do, but it's not the same because I, I think, I know I think yeah, yeah. no, because, because my point here is this, it's not that he said that we still engage in war and they used to engage in war. It's that there's a certain aspect of our personality that he's addressing the bloodthirstiness, the mm-hmm. desire to cause pain and get enjoyment from it. And I would say in modern civilization, those who exist like, you know, in much of the West don't in fact have that attribute. Like that, I, isn't, I something, that isn't something I would actually like condemn modern civilization for. Not the, I mean, we, of course we have drone strikes and stuff like that. War continues. But, I see what you're saying. But you get what I'm saying? Now? I, know, like, I, I hear your point more yeah. specifically. Jordan yeah. seems like he has a point though. Yeah. But it, could it be that it has been attenuated 
in the way in which that impulse is expressed. So I'm Jordan, so I'm, that was my exact. Sure. Yeah, because I'm thinking that like I'm it's thinking we manifest that, like, differently. Yeah, because I mean, that's you know you know, I, because. The problem is, is that the consequences in some sense have become much worse of being violent, right? I mean, you you know, there was a way in which, you know, you get into a bar fight in like mid 19th century Russia, you just be killed, right? That's probably, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's probably not going to happen if you get into a bar fight now. But in some sense, any like we've we've uh, criminalized violence to the extent where like, I mean, you could you could make a not absurd argument that we've overdone it right to the point where like if you stand up for yourself in school like you're getting bullied or something right and you just like punch the bully in the face you'll be expelled right yeah it's so not excessive like, violence that we tap down on it's just it's just the violence yes. the notion of violence yeah. so but, i'm but, wondering if like that makes people express it in different ways like you know just just like crude chants i mean no matter what you think of like hillary clinton or her politics you know the chant to like lock her up is this sort yeah. of expression of the same impulse yeah i don't know of, you're right about the bloodthirstiness but i think there's the underlying motivation for bloodthirstiness that kind of is, remains and expresses find well, expression i i, I kind of want to push back on that a little bit because i heard both of you and i thought the points were really good but i i want to analyze it exactly in like how he's using this critique right because yeah, where is this exactly so i, I can like read yes it. We, we can go exactly to it but let me make the first and we can oh, yeah. exact wording here but his argument essentially is, is that fundamentally human beings have not changed in the last 2000 years. We have not changed and we well, will not change. Fundamentally human nature. Human nature. Right? Okay. Human nature. Okay. Yeah. And I well, obviously he was experiencing change, but it's the human nature underlying well, it. Yeah. The human nature underlying it. Yeah. And I, I would say that modern civilization given how even if you know i think jordan brought up a good point in the sense that okay well what if you know some of like those same underlying like you know like the same impetus is being redirected toward different behavior still mm -hmm. deleterious behavior but different behavior yeah not necessarily bloodthirsty but different twitter trolling something sure, like that whatever Ooh. but the point is toxic is that but non-violent well the, my, my point though is like i i definitely think that that stands in contrast to his point that there's no real perfectibility of man if in fact we can you know redirect human nature to less deleterious effects in the sense that like i mean I, is it really bloodthirsty to be you know it, like in the same way in the same way as like Cleopatra sticking pins. Oh yeah, the pins, right? No, I, that person chanting for Clinton. I mean, that. Well, I, I, no <laughs> doubt, Jordan, you're right. That is bloodthirsty. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't disagree, but it's very, very different. Like, it expresses uh, itself in a different way. Yeah, yeah I, I, yeah, I would say so. No, you make a good point. I'm. I if we can let's hone in on Let the me, language here. Yeah, I'm curious. Okay, like, he, hey, he may I'm gonna make a stronger claim. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna run to the bathroom real quick. Then while we're doing this. So Sounds just, good. If you while, just while I find the page, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, because this was something I kind of like. I mean, I loved this uh, first part here. It was. I I, I, I I loved it as well. It was. I found it pretty funny, honestly. Just like 
the the um I, like you mentioned the confession style suited itself towards like both insights and comedy right like oh, the, yeah. the, the 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 neuroticism comes through but also the like little tinge in your mind whenever you're like feel some sympathy or like you're like oh i've seen the behavior myself good lord i know i know <laughs> it, it, it was really because i read this um you remember when i was in uh, seattle that's where i got the book yeah there was like a small local bookstore my aunt showed me um and i picked up a couple of things um including warren uh oh no not warren but i picked up um crime and punishment i'm sorry uh dude i want to read that next by the way i want to i'm gonna i read it i read it over winter yeah oh i don't think i ever told you this but so you remember i was trying to read war and peace yeah i couldn't get through it i literally put it down and it stayed down at page like 100 like in 20 or something like it was like right shortly after like it gets to like the war part um and i finally figured out why too um because i i think i mentioned to you but like the, the version of um notes from underground that you're reading as well as the versions of the brothers karamazov and um kind of punishment that i picked up were all from like you know these modern uh translators and their translations you know they were done in like either the you know late 90s or the early 2000s or something and they're fantastic it was such an easy read going through crime and punishment with that and i was looking back at war and peace and it was the translator was constance garnett who wrote the translation in like 1916 it was i like literally was like like it was i was trembling through like passages originally like i had to like reread sentences like it was bad i like i wasn't sure if i could read after like trying to read through war and peace then i realized like that they have also done um like the modern translators that pair have done one for war and peace so i'm not gonna try again at some point but with a proper translation because constant garnet can can cannot do it for me it was this was written for a time when women couldn't vote yeah no i um at least the the one jordan picked up for me of of uh notes from underground here um this is a pretty good translation I, I thought it was excellent. It's very readable. It's Ooh, not okay. like it's, you still have my copy, right? I have to give you your copy. Okay. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It would be um, nice for part two, especially because it's longer. You'll yeah. go on memory alone, or you won't join. <laughs> well, no, I, dude, that's why they have those those Peterson YouTube clips. <laughs> I'll do ten minutes before the podcast. That uh, we did that for the Communist Manifesto, also. <laughs> it's all you need. Did okay, you find a quote? Yeah, I did. Um, but I is it does read the whole page? Can, can you tell <laughs> That's me what, what I did? Yeah. <laughs> can you tell me what section it's in? Because twenty one. I am uh, page twenty one. Of what's our it? copy. What? I don't have pages. Then you'll it's know in, nothing. Uh, <laughs> it's it's in section seven. There we um, go. Okay. And oh, this had one of my favorite quotes. Oh, this is where the crystal palace. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Yeah, just read the whole page. It's yeah, definitely. It's too meandering to not. Okay, so after all, to maintain even this theory of the regeneration of mankind by means of its own advantage is, after all, to my mind, almost the same as, as to claim, for instance, with Buckle, that through civilization, mankind becomes softer and consequently less bloodthirsty and less fitted for warfare. Logically, it does not seem to follow from from his arguments. 
But man is so fond of systems and abstract deductions that he is ready to distort the truth intentionally. He is ready to deny what he can see and hear just to justify his logic. I take this example because it is the most glaring instance of it. Only look about you. Blood is being spilled in, stream, in streams and in the merriest way, as though it were champagne. Take the whole of the 19th century in which Buckle lived. Take Napoleon, both the great and the present one. Take North America, the eternal union. Take farcical Schleswig Holstein and what is... And what is it that that civilization softens in us? Civilization only produces a greater variety of sensations in man and absolutely nothing more. And though this, and through the development of this variety, man may even come to find enjoyment in bloodshed. After all, it has already happened to him. Have you noticed that the subtlest slaughterers have almost always been the most civilized gentlemen to whom the various Attilas and Stanko raisins could never hold a candle. And if they are not so conspicuous as the Attilas and Stanko raisins, it is precisely because they are so often met with, are so ordinary and have become so familiar to us. In any case, if civilization has not made men more bloodthirsty, it has at least made him more abominably, more loathsomely bloodthirsty than before. Formerly, he saw justice and bloodshed and with his conscience at peace, exterminated whomever he thought he should. And now while we consider bloodshed an abomination, we never, nevertheless engage in this abomination and even more than ever before. Which is worse? Decide that for yourselves. It is said that Cleopatra, pardon the example from Roman history, was fond of sticking gold pins into her slave girl's breasts and derived enjoyment from their screams and writhing. You will say that that occurred in comparative, comparatively barbarous times, that these, are, that these are barbarous times too, because also comparatively speaking, pins are now stuck in even now, or pins are stuck in even now. So, okay, I'll kind of stop there. But yeah, I think that covers the. Do you get my point, point though? Yeah. Or do you disagree? Do you think I misread that? No, I don't he think seems- he misread he seems right. If you think about the jubilation with which men signed up to fight in the Great War. Right? True, but but let's examine the 20th century versus now the 21st century. You, you, you have to concede there's a major difference now that we've actually oh, yeah. had the Cold War. You know, oh, it's yeah. a very different world now. So, so he's right for for a time period, but is he right now? That's the thing. It's like I, I don't know if we are really ready to because right now we might just be in like a you know a trough, the right long piece. Yeah. yeah. Um, but doesn't that if civilization brings this peace, then even for like a temporary period of but time, he's, uh, there, there's one level of analysis in which he's absolutely right. I mean, just the fact that like interpersonal violence by any metric has gone down. You know what I mean? And in that way, like he, Adam's he right, is obviously mean. well. Oh yeah, I meant just like. Dostoevsky is right if that's what he meant. You know what I mean? Wait, I'm okay. Okay. Like I'm saying you're right in one objective, obvious sense in which the case of like person on person violence or murders has obviously gone down if you look at just the whole, you know? Yeah. Um that's I don't that's an interesting, you know, when I so actually something else sort of came to mind when I first read that. 
and I'm finding less contextual evidence for it on second reading, uh, what I thought. For whatever reason, that made me think of, and maybe it was that combined with a different passage that I'm not remembering, but it almost made me think about the the comfortableness or the ease with which people are okay sanctioning violence, right? Like we'll sign up for, you know, we as sort of a country, people will vote to just, you know, just look at like the average kind of Republican voter. They'll just very, very confidently say, you know, we should not pull out of Afghanistan. We should not have pulled out of Iraq, you know, like, you know, the very like easily sanction violence. And he's pointing, I, there was something in there that made me think that he would be willing to say that, you know, look, it's like people themselves are not engaging in violence, but it's more loathsome in the sense that they almost desire that violence be done more or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just, I, I definitely get your point there. Um, because I think always societies have like outsourced violence, like not, not mm-hmm. the average citizen was like, you know, necessarily like picking up arms and stabbing a neighbor. Like it was always, it was always outsourced and it's outsourced now. Yeah. So like, so people, you know, uh, sanctioned violence 2000 years ago and they do today. Mm-hmm. But I just also wonder, like given society, like, you know, I forget where I heard this. It might have been like, embarrassingly enough, like a Joe Rogan podcast. Um, but, but depending was, on the guest, like the, <laughs> the, the, like the guest is what makes that embarrassing or not. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was. Um, I'll recall. Uh, I didn't name, mean to do it. Right yeah, but but either way, like the point was made that we just come into less contact with death now in the sense that oh, yeah. you know, people, you know, possibly two, three hundred years ago, sooner, I mean, would slaughter the animals, mm-hmm. you know, might lose a third of their children, you know, in the first 10 years of life and would have to bury them in themselves. Um, it was not uncommon to have to go fight the war. It was not uncommon mm-hmm. to you know, get into physical, you know, altercations that could, you know, lead to serious harm. Mm. And the average person isn't exposed to that death and violence now. And when he asks here, and what is it that civilization, you know, does it soften us? I would say, yeah, yeah, I I think it does actually. And he says, no, but I say, yeah, I think it kind of has actually to an extent. Yeah. So yeah. And it's allowed itself to be expressed that sort of softness in very contemptible ways too. Sure, <laughs> you know? sure. Like the people chanting, you know, lock her up were all, you know, many of them had just like barely left the couch that day, you yeah, know. Even more yeah. contemporary. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So no, no, for sure. It's it's he's he he if he would have said that like there's going to be a distance an increased distance between sort of what people desire and what people are capable of that yeah. I, you know, that seems to be obviously true. Yeah. Then, then he's just clairvoyant. So yeah. <laughs> just like, cause, yeah. it's, cause it's exactly what's happened. So, mm. but I think, I think civilization has softened us. I agree. I agree. Um, I was almost, I, I almost want to like ask a question about you guys returning back to like previous things that we had talked about. Um, okay well first of all this is like returning to the um this is returning to that 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 
contest between action and contemplation that he was talking about. I, I guess I'm actually just kind of curious, first of all, to what extent do you, I guess I'm curious to what extent do you relate to Dostoevsky and what <laughs> do you extent... identify as the man of action or the underground man? Yeah. Is what you're asking. But then like, a, but, <laughs> addi- percentage. but additionally, like both, where do you fall on that spectrum and where do you do like, would you want to move yourself either uh. direction? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, whoever wants to venture a, an answer first. Yeah, I'll put myself out there. I definitely lean more towards the contemplation. I, I could use some more action for sure. Like, yeah. I, it's, it's just my it's my nature. It's just like uncertainty <laughs> paralyzes me. Yeah. I sit under the boards looking up <laughs> with the cracks in the floor. Do you, because I find myself, like, I'm actually curious. I, I, experience genuine uncertainty fairly rarely like do, do you do you guys or is it like a very common thing more common. it's pretty common, common. I, I, pretty common so it's pretty uncommon well, it for... depends on the magnitude i guess we're referring to like sure paralyzing sure. like i don't like stop in the middle of my tracks daily just like <laughs> good lord which left brick right. to step on on the road <laughs> yeah i know but like i i definitely experience uncertainty frequently whether okay, it's job related should... or personally or just like you know minor things throughout mm-hmm. the day maybe I, I def- should be more clear okay there's one thing that i related to insanely well to like what dostoevsky was writing and i hate this about myself i have this extremely tiring and annoying habit of constantly trying to do things in the most efficient manner like I and it sucks because it never actually works because of how much I think about like how to do things efficiently mm. where um and like it doesn't work also because it's tiring like it just like wears me out too where like if I'm thinking about like what I have to do and like say there's like multiple errands that have to be run I will literally think about just like which which ones to do in which order that make the most sense but it's like second nature to me and honestly I hate that like I, I in that sense I'm way too much of an underground man like in some sense cuz cuz think about it like okay for that example if I plan it out perfectly I save 7 minutes you know, I'm just uh, making up numbers here. And you but, suffer for it. <laughs> yes. And I, I, I would literally like, no. like mentally suffer for seven I, minutes. I 100% agree. You, no, you'll suffer for nine minutes. Well, no, no. I mean, <laughs> to gain seven minutes, like I'll, like I'll suffer for that aim. It's just oh, like, yeah, even yeah. if I don't get the seven minutes or, or even if I do get it, it wasn't worth it. Like, yeah, you plan for nine minutes, you save seven minutes and you suffer. I see. I don't do yes. that at all. Really? I, I do some of that. I don't, no. I don't do that. I, I literally have never done that in my life really like, yeah dude i wish we could meet in the middle man of action <laughs> a pig no i'd be like if i've got to go somewhere i'll just be like uh I'm three between i'm like three between three and four and i've got to do a few things i just go from one to the next and i don't really oh. no no <laughs> it's it, it, to the point where if i see other torture. people not doing things jordan i don't know if you do this too but if I see other people not doing things efficiently, as if they just kind of discard like the notion of efficiency, I just kind of get irritated, and I don't like that. For I me, it depends on the magnitude. Like if I think someone's being overtly irrational, I get extremely irritated. 
But like to be honest, it's, I, mean, it's, I mean, like I, I would go to like the shorter things first, like the closer thing. You know, I, mean, I wouldn't be like, <laughs> oh no, first, oh, oh. first I drive that all the way there, and then I drive back, but then I go somewhere else. But yeah, like, it's I, not I, like a conscious deliberation. But, but what you're no, saying. Yeah, yeah, but there's like I don't actually plan for it. No, you know? dude, there's dude, no it anymore. makes me so mad. I hate this about myself. Like it makes me so irritated. Where I'll literally like, I'll plan out like. And it's so stupid because I try to work in even my own reactions to things. Like I'll, I'll just be like, okay, well, I'll be tired after this. So it makes sense to kind of do this afterwards. And it's like, part of me, it's like enough, enough with all this. Just, just, just I never give me that. the green light. No, I'll like, follow the green light. Honestly, the thing that I am, am looking forward to like so much about from now until when I start Houston is I, I really want to get that out of my system in a large sense where this is like a very abnormal time in my life where I can just like do like, I, I really don't have a lot of deadlines or like, or like schedules, you know, like there are things that I need to do, but there's not like, there's not that kind of a form to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but in that way, like I, I, I was like, I was like, you just could not relate to Dostoevsky more in that sense. Yeah, no, I was whenever you were gone, I was telling Adam like it was really enjoyable, but like for like the nuanced um kind of like relationship you have with like the underground man, because sometimes it's like you just like chastise him. And sometimes you're like, oh, I feel that in myself. Like I see myself reflected in the mirror, and he's like an yes. underground man. Like like when he talked about the enjoyment of being slapped across the face, I was sort of like very. I just couldn't relate to that at all. But then, <laughs> well, you know, you, you you may desire things in certain rooms that I don't give them. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but no, I, I see what you're saying. Um, but non-answer, by the way. Um, but, but, but I may like, or may not. I, only the underground man. <laughs> um, but like that, I didn't relate to at all. But then when he was talking about that, that like that paralyzation of, it's not even it's not even that I'm paralyzed, but it's sort of like. There's like that that mental tax that I'm constantly paying for it. And it really just bothers me. I do experience the paralyzation as well. So when I talked about like when I asked how often do you experience uncertainty? I wasn't talking about that sort of a thing. That, uh, that okay. I was thought when where it was like just just that stupid just tr- strategizing and trying to be efficient. Like that's yeah, because yeah, there's I, uncertainty within that that you try to push of course. through. That's what I was imagining whenever you okay. asked about I that. Something... I was like, of course. So I <laughs> okay, so I meant something different then. I'm talking about like there is a decision or an act or like something that actually has to be done. And I am like genuinely struggling to um figure out which is the right course or like which is the one I'm going to do. Honestly, the more common experience for me is to know what I want to do or like what I should do. And then it's just sort of like, but it's annoying to do, or I'm tired, or I just don't want to do it. You know what I mean? It's like that, that that's the more common phenomenology for me. Rather yeah, it's, than it's, it's more so the latter. Yeah. Actually, I, I don't really have like I don't typically like deliberate between two things. And I'm like, oh, I can't really decide between these yeah. two. Like I typically know what I should do. And I'm kind of like, I'm on board, but I just don't do it because <laughs> I just like, because it's quite unpleasant. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's, there's a hefty like, so dose. I procrastinate like mad. So yeah. There's a hefty dose of that. But I think I actually do get like the, the deliberation between the points, just, you know, well beyond justification. Yeah. yeah I definitely know you do, Giffen. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like my cardinal sin. 
What? Well, my God, that besides sloth. <laughs> no, 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 no. That one, that was a lesser sin. That's true. Um, well, what I was going to say, Giffen, is like, I mean, I experienced, I experienced a good bit of that level of actual uncertainty um, about a few things recently, but like grad school is the one I, that was most relevant <clears throat> to what I was thinking about. Um, and honestly, like, I don't, okay. The question relevant for both of you, but maybe Giffen more because you experienced this more. The vi- what what makes that a very uncomfortable thing for me, and what I think drives like the existential angst <clears throat> behind a lot of the writing about it in Dostoevsky. At least I'm projecting this onto him. I want to mm-hmm. I want to know if you agree. Before a decision has been arrived at, both options are sort of equally real, in like a very disturbing way. Like it. Because what I'm talking about here is like true uncertainty. I'm not talking about weakness of will or epistemic uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like you have all of the facts on the table and you are going to do whatever you decide to like do. But the actual deciding, like before a decision has been reached, like at least me, I was thinking about like grad school specifically, it's like both options are actually equally as real, which was very disturbing in a lot of ways. Like if I was actually deeply struggling to choose between like, you know, cause I, I was, you guys know, I had that huge if then structure and everything, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay, if, if I don't get like funding for Houston or whatever, then it's come, kind of come down to like VT versus Texas tech or what, you know, and it like, and I like genuinely was having a difficult time with that. And until I decided both options were equally as real. I'm not sure 100% what you mean by real. Well, like the. <laughs> it was possible just... in the sense that you can like imagine them very clearly what your life would look like having, you know, made either decision. Right. Is that what you're talking that... about? Yeah. And also this. This very uncomfortable tension between the fact that a decision has not been made and yet one will be made and it's not clear to you like yet which you'll choose yeah i never get that i'm not sure i'm not sure i've ever gotten that really i I, like i said i very rarely get it honestly dude i (laughs) i haven't experienced that for probably years um yeah because i haven't had a lot of those you know decisions to be made but like yeah, I mean, those are the those are like really big decisions that can cause that. Um, I I have experienced what you're describing, although I do like you you qualified that statement by saying like you would have all the information. But I think a lot of the part of it for me is just like there's some information that just cannot be had, and that provides angst. So yeah. in the, I'm trying to like take that away, and if mm-hmm. that's, I think I still experience what you're describing, where like the the realness as you described it. But I do think a yeah. lot of it for me comes from like the just endless ocean of you know parameters you can't know and even you know you could suffer for like ten thousand aeons and you won't have like with absolute certainty like some information yeah um because to know all of the information would be to present be be presented with dostoevsky's algorithm in some sense yeah right you know yeah to the devil with the logarithms (laughs) to the devil with it i loved that i loved that um 
that quote in particular from what you read there, Adam, where he says, but man is so fond of systems and abstract deductions that he is ready to distort the truth intentionally. He is ready to deny what he can see and hear just to justify his logic, which I loved where it's just like... (laughs) That's very, very true. Any yeah. blips in the trends, you know, he was talking about this buckles theory or whatever, you know, any, any blips in the trend, he would just, you know, it would be one of those like, well, the exception proves the rule. It's like, ah, <laughs> okay, like, okay. You know, it's, it's unfalsifiable. <laughs> and I, yeah. I was wondering if that, that statement there, there was a level, there was sort of a, almost like a Borgesian desire in me to read into that statement too. And to even be like, well, you know, how, to, to just like bring that statement to bear on what Dostoevsky had written here, where it's like, well, you know, I wonder if there would actually be, you know, he kind of talked about like that, like holding on to that existential freedom of choice. You know what I mean? And I was thinking about that in, in respect to me, wanting to be able to have that algorithm but turn it on and off like sometimes it would feel good almost to like relinquish the decision to something and i was thinking about specifically in those instances of being so existentially unsure like because every option that you're considering is real yeah Mm. i see what you're saying i think i i I most aligned like when in the reading with um (laughs) like like that like the part about just feeling spite not toward anyone specifically but just just like this feeling of spite but also reveling in it to the point where like (laughs) adam just having a toothache in his own house what what, 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 well let me like finish with this i don't know if i don't know if you guys ever do this but he was describing like not only like reliving moments in which you felt you had been wronged but also embellishing the details (laughs) embellishing the story and in fact like Ma- you know, this is a very useful. <laughs> and, 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 and in fact, like making up stories to the point where like things that have never happened, but things that could happen, just to like, just and it's it's all like in the sake, you know, like for the sake of spite. But it's not directed toward anyone. But it's just, like just to like, mm. kind of like generate like this emotion. Do you guys? You're gonna love that? part two. <laughs> okay, I do this all the time. <laughs> you know. No. I used to be like that more than I am now. I think Yeah. I used to be, I think I used to do that a lot more than I do now. And, but I think that I haven't, this almost goes back to the violence thing. Like the, like the bloodthirst has just expressed itself in a different form for me. Like, I think the impulse that we share is the same there, but like that's at the, at the root of it. But I almost have that instead of, looking into the past i almost have that looking into the future where but it's the same thing where i experience almost this sort of like spite but also what's the exact word i want to use it's something along the lines of contempt in a spiteful way and this sort of like i mean if you don't manage this correctly it can be extremely destructive but like this sort of almost you you need something to like push against do you know what i mean Mm. i almost have that much more in like a future looking sense at this point but i know exactly what you're talking about yeah no i i go both directions but it's it's like but especially the part about 
making up stories <laughs> in your head of just like elaborate complexity of how you've been wronged, but like none of them <laughs> have happened, but they could happen in the future. So you just derive this oh, sense I, of spite. I, I actually, okay, okay. I remember when we were doing one of the, when, when we were doing the first MyZone competition. Yeah. I would, I would become enraged, like literally to the point where I was seeing red by the idea that like someone was cheating to beat me, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that you guys had like given the strap to someone else. And I would like, I would, it, and the thing, like, it wouldn't matter if I actually believed it was true or not. I would become like just obsessed with the idea that you guys were doing that or like just some, you know, say something else. Like I would just become obsessed with that idea. And it was just like as real as the truth was to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I lean a little towards Jordan more so. Like I, I obviously know exactly what you're referring to. Um, like the experience <laughs> and the, the way you handle the experience, um, you know, the, the emotions you feel and how you respond to them or how you stoke them. Um, but I do. Feel I, like- I, I stoke them. I just like, <laughs> With a giant like, bellows. With, with a giant bellow. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a team of men pumping the bellow. Yeah. No, seriously though. It's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not healthy at all. When I read that, I was just like, mm. I'm like, I'm like, it's I, a gut punch. It's yeah, a gut yeah, punch. yeah. The birthday yeah, text. <laughs> I know, right? So you know I do this so much. I, I do this so much. I know you do. I do it so much, like every day. It's so bad. Every day. <laughs> it's so unhealthy. But yeah, that's like, uh, dude. I, but I do the same. I do the same shit. Like especially, um, oh, like I like. I would do the same thing. This this rears its head a lot when I'm trying to get in like the the zone to work out, where it's like I will think of like like positively immoral things <laughs> like, like just, this is the, like, the balance you're referring to earlier where it can go wrong. yeah but just like to just like because obviously you're not going to do anything but just to get your head into like a place of just like darkness almost to like <laughs> especially when we're doing these competitions you know what i mean like, yeah. but i'm sorry i think i cut you off given <laughs> no i didn't think this is hilarious like <laughs> um i i think like i obviously 100 percent I don't know about ch- if I want to admit to channeling the darkness. Catch Jordan wrong on his way to the gym and he still gets mauled. <laughs> but um, but like I do hundred percent. Like I, I feel like I really like really like try to repress that. Like that's smart. That's how <laughs> it's yeah. very healthy. repression can be like a um kind of negative aspect too. But not true. not 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 for that. It, it was like one of the. <laughs> Well, maybe compared to the, the I, giant I, I, bellows. I assure you, yeah, you know, stoking the flames. You know what? You know what? Not as- <laughs> I was okay. I I gotta be careful about the details here. I was recently, <laughs> I was recently like at a conference, mm-hmm. and I didn't actually realize I did this until right now, Adam. When you you just prompted me to realize that I just I had done it. I literally imagined a more senior person at a an institution that is relevant to mine. I have no connection with this person, but like I imagined him thinking lowly of my talk. 
And that made me like so angry. And see, so, there, see, there you go. See, there you go. And so focused that I tried to like you're. It just I just like channeled that. And I honestly I didn't even realize that I did it until kind of like right now. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. I my, that motivation structure doesn't work for me very well. Like I I think I think <laughs> like it can flow. <laughs> no, yeah. like honestly, like I think it. I think that kind of like channeling leads more to like self loathing for me. Like that that yeah. underground section. Interesting. Yeah, no, no, that, that's, that's completely that's opposite direction. incentive structure. Yeah. So I've developed that for that reason. Like it hasn't. There's been no utility for me of imagining these things. <laughs> I think I'm also like, we all know this because I read like the comment sections under videos. But I'm also like a bit of a rageaholic. Yes. So. I, I, I'm the opposite. I literally cannot stand. I'm allergic. <laughs> You know what's interesting is I use this is again a thing where I think I've actually like shifted in a weird way. I used to be so much more of a rage of like I would hate listen to shit. You know what I mean? Like I would I would hate listen to like apologetics and you know all that. And it's not that I don't partake in that occasionally, but it seems to be way less frequent for me now. But Only when you're at the gym or on your way. But it's actually it was it's actually kind of like the Dostoevsky violence thing. It's not even that I don't have that anymore. It's that my horizons have broadened. Like it's almost it's almost like a frequency thing. Like I just there's so much more to listen to or like to read or indulge in. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that impulse is still there. It just doesn't get surfaced as much. Mm. That's true. And that can be kind of like. um How should I say this? It could be a bad thing, too, because I would get like super motivated by like like hating how stupid this idea was see it doesn't work for me like that but i i do i mean it does occasionally but um Hmm. not as much for me Hmm. i was gonna say like i guess this leads back to the point yeah with the, the violence it's like there we have been in an environment that is more conducive towards like efficient channeling of these things Right. I mean, that's kind of like the institutions we develop are for that purpose. So like, Adam, I think you brought up the, you know, the point earlier. Um, it seems like we actually are successful with these institutions in, in large ways. And Dostoevsky maybe was just living in the time where like he's was seeing conflict during a change instead of just like the result. But like we definitely. We're not the same in that regard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like we, we can maybe we get all of us related to all of like these kind of feelings that we are describing, but all of us can kind of, you know, devise like these, these structures around them and channel them differently or tailor an environment to like lessen the frequency like Jordan was invoking. Um, I was never a rageaholic. Though. I couldn't do it. Like <laughs> for me, it was like, like in, in almost every aspect, like, you know, hobbies, just like music listening, like everything was to like tone it down. Ooh. But that was, you know, just me. Yeah. No, I, uh, well, I, I won't re- reiterate the same things, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not on that spectrum. <laughs> it's, not, it's not even the same bell-shaped curve. It's like, truly really on a different curve. Yeah, yeah, there's a separate curve for rageaholics. And where am I, what, 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 what percentile am I there? So. <laughs> Amongst the spectrum of curves, you're on the far right curve and on the far right of the curve. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What did you guys take? Because it's never explicitly discussed, really, unless I missed it, which is possible. What did you guys actually take underground to mean? So the the way I kind of viewed it a little bit was 
it was almost like an analogy for him because you got to keep in mind that like he went to go visit the West right before writing this. Right. Hmm. So he wasn't exactly exposed to um, many of these Western ideas circulating at this point. He didn't really know how far along scientifically we were at this point. So he kind of arrived and and the origin of species just came out in 59, right? So he would have been exposed to the idea of evolution. Mm-hmm. The idea, I mean, like, how, how crazy That's would that have been? a big shift, yeah. R- recall that three years before the origin of species came out, they found, you know, the remains of Neanderthal man. That mm-hmm. was like in 56. So, I mean, a lot of, this was like a, like a moment of like, burgeoning scientific discovery with a lot of people taking away a lot of different ideas from it that he didn't even know about. So he pretty much shifting kind of observations. So like here I am kind of like located almost like in the back corner Hmm. or underground, like in Russia. And like, you kind of like emerge up and see like what people are talking about, what's been discovered. And it's like, you Hmm. kind of like hit the brakes for a second with this book. So, or novella. Hmm. So I didn't view it like that. That's interesting though. Um, so whenever I was reading it and kind of, well, you just asked the question, but I think it was more like estrangement in an ironic kind of way, considering Mm. uh, what he kind of rebuts against in some ways, but it's, it's the, um, I I don't know to what extent, um, because I had read this like almost a year ago now, um, nine months, maybe, um, I don't, I don't know what part of this is is informed by like my reading of part two which we haven't read well we haven't read for the um this episode yet um but to me that's kind of what it is it's it's the idea of like the the changes that you described adam like that have started to come you know to to russia and to you know the, the world is causing some some estrangement within society and that's kind of like if you're in this kind of like changing period and, you know, Dostoevsky maybe he's willing to admit positive aspects of the change, but he's trying to like pull the brakes in certain, certain aspects of like the consequences that people are trying to like um, bring upon. So it's kind of like being underground is like a consequence of like observing things, but going too far. And like, there's the internal tension that develops that estranges you from society and, you know, some aspects of yourself, which is, you know, the individuality. And I, and also kind of piggybacking on what you just said right there. Um, I thought you brought up like actually but, well, the first point you had there with the estrangement. That's really good too, because he was definitely isolated in his views actually, because as you pointed out, like what is to be done was extremely popular in Russia at that time. Yeah. So he would have been like a minority opinion when writing this number one. Hmm. Um, and number two would be, I, I kind of just recalled like a quote, you know, obviously I can get exactly right. But when he was describing himself as sort of like a hedonist and what he could be there, he was saying, isn't that better to be described positively in these negative times? So I kind of gave that some thought. You remember that quote? Mm-hmm. At yeah, least so, he was he was saying like at least that person has an ethos of some sort. Exactly, exactly. Where he's almost he kind of sees this population where 
people are living lives in that time period where they're not really defining themselves in any like distinct way with positive attributes. So yeah. I think he's also seeing himself in isolation there too. So that kind yeah. of, yeah. They're, they're like in that Marxian sense, cogs in the machine. Yeah. Especially in the industrial revolution era. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, because Adam, you, you had like a, kind of a societal answer Giffen had an interpersonal answer and I I was I almost interpreted this as like an intrapersonal way mm. um of being underground where <clears throat> like <clears throat> <clears throat> you might imagine that there's you might imagine that sort of obviously within like a lifetime but any given amount of time you know weeks months years something like that you can sort of live a more underground life or not, you know, where you, you might imagine that if things aren't working out for you and you're really struggling, that you would be more prone to be captured in these kind of thought puzzles or like, or, or seemingly inescapable paradoxes about your life. And you can't really escape that. And that would be a very underground feeling. Whereas if things are going well, and you're sort of a man of action within your own life, like, you know, there, there's the positive feedback loop of, of where when one thing goes well, you know, you can sort of reap the rewards for other areas of your life and in that way live less underground. Um, I think your answer is probably the most accurate, actually, because he, he said that he's been an underground man for 40 years. Yeah, so and he's, especially so he, in light of 40, part two. And he's 40 years old, so he's saying, I've been an underground man my whole life. So yeah. I've been this hyper-conscious, you know, kind of self-doubt very neurotic exactly like that that's who i've always been so yeah yeah, so it's it's probably that yeah but there are a lot of different things i liked all the way yeah Yeah. it's informed by like the layers yeah Yeah. Yeah. i know i liked that we all had different layers of interpretation there um (sighs) yeah i was gonna say i mean i think we really i think we talked about it um to a big degree um I mean, maybe maybe the absolute last thing at the end where he talked about sort of why he's writing this and he almost talked about like to clear his own conscience in a way almost or to sort of like self-examine that also seemed congruent with the idea that he had lived his life in that intrapersonal or psychic underground sense where he's like, I, I was almost viewing a lot of the beginning part of this, like part one as just like. Cause he, cause he, oh shit. Cause he talked about the page before that he talked about, he says, every man has some reminiscences, which he would not tell to everyone, but only to his friends. He has others, which he would not yeah. reveal even to his friends, but only to himself and that in secret. <laughs> but finally, there are still others, which a man is even afraid to tell himself. And every decent man has a considerable number of such things stored away. Anyway, I have only lately decided to remember some of my early adventures. Till now, I have always avoided them, even with a certain uneasiness. Now, however, when I am not only recalling them, but have actually decided to write them down, I want to try the experiment whether one can be perfectly frank, even with oneself, and not take fright at the whole truth. And that actually makes me think he's kind of viewing this as like a radical experiment in... I said earlier, this seemed like almost a stream of consciousness. And that's exactly what you would do if you were trying to see how honest you could actually be. Oh, definitely. That's why I was saying, um, without a doubt, Russo's confessions, 
contributed mm. to, you know, it, it, what part of his goal here, you know, uh, even though, you know, at the very end of like part one, he does agree that ultimately, you know, Russo did lie about himself because every man is bound to lie about himself mm. when telling of himself. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I, I totally agree. That was part of his goal. And, and it was definitely a response to the liberals of the period. Um, Cause I mean, I think, I don't know exactly where, but at the very end, right around where you read, he was saying, um, you know, I, I will not contribute a stone to the, you know, to the, um, the crystal palace mm. in the sense that I think, I don't know the exact context for that, but I, the way I read it was that even my silence in this case mm. would be, you know, contributing to the construction of this crystal palace. Um, so I think his goal is to, you know, kind of do everything he can to prevent that from happening. So, yeah. 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 Okay, I, I I enjoyed the discussion of part one. I'm looking forward to part two, um, which will take on a more narrative form. So, um, all right, I hope I hope um, people found that entertaining, if not <laughs> enlightening. <laughs> and uh, and join us next time for part two. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Plato's Cave. Um, I always enjoy discussing topics with, uh, with these two guys. So if you want to um, support the show in any way, you can do so simply by sharing it. Uh, I'm hoping to get this show out to more people. Uh, and so if you want to share it on Twitter or social media, that would really help me. Uh, you can also rate it on Apple Podcasts. Uh, like this video if you're watching on YouTube, or subscribe uh, via Apple Podcasts or an RSS feed. Uh, you can also discuss it on your own show and link back uh, to my website, or you can connect me uh, with recommended guests or topics to cover. Uh, you can get in contact with me at Plato's Cave Podcast at gmail.com, follow me on Twitter at Jordan underscore C underscore Myers, and I now have a website for my philosophy endeavors at jordanmyers.org. If you want to know a little bit more about me and my fellow co-hosts, um, as I said in the introduction, I'm a master's student in philosophy at the University of Houston. I did my undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, where I studied mechanical engineering and philosophy. And now that I'm back at school, I'm hoping to more closely study uh, moral responsibility, free will, ethics, epistemology, and moral psychology. Those are topics that I was uh, introduced to and got really interested in in my undergrad work. So uh, Adam and Giffen accompanied me on this show, and Adam is uh, one of my oldest friends. We actually met in kindergarten, um, and we've been interested in philosophical topics for as long as we can remember, and in a lot of ways, it's been the basis of our friendship. Uh, Adam studied chemistry and biology at Cornell, and he is currently working at a law firm. Um, and he's especially interested in moral responsibility as well, but also law, religion, and free will. Uh, Giffen is also one of my oldest friends, and uh, we've been friends since elementary school as well. Um, Giffen studied biology and economics at RPI, and now he works in human health research. Uh, he believes that there's very interesting overlap between both of his fields of study and philosophy, and he's particularly interested in exploring political philosophy. So this series was right up his alley. Um, and with, uh, with all of that information, 
Again, I hope that you enjoyed uh, this episode, and I hope that you get in contact with me or, or follow my work in any way that you uh, deem reasonable to do. So with that, thank you for listening.